This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. I'm going to try to start on time. Welcome. Happy Friday. And uh, do we have anyone who is in this uh, module? You haven't been in one of uh, my modules on the Holy Spirit yet? Let's get some new people. Oh, good. A lot of new people. It means the old ones got scared away. My wife's here for the first time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's heard it before. So uh, we're, we're very thankful that you're here. And, of course, the purpose of our gathering here at GYC is not just to see if we can accumulate a lot of data on the Holy Spirit, but really our ultimate goal is that we might receive that knowledge, that truth that will set us free, that will actually give us an experience so we can be transformed by it. And so it's very appropriate that we begin by praying. I know it's not practical in the theater seats, but I'd like to just kneel and if you could bow your heads and we'll begin with a word of prayer. Dear loving Father, uh, we come before you now and recognizing our urgent need for the Holy Spirit, not only because of the times in which we're living, but also, Lord, because uh, we can't live the Christian life without the Spirit of Christ. We pray that you'll baptize us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us, filling on the inside, baptizing on the outside. And Lord, we pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit that sinners might be converted to you. Be with each person here. Help them to experience your presence right now. Once again, I pray that you will forgive my sins and that ultimately it is Christ that will be exalted and his truth and will be affected by that. And so we commit this time to you. Pray that your presence will be sensed in our midst. Instruct us and inspire us through thy Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. almost forgot to take off my cell phone. That would be pretty bad, huh? In your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ezekiel. Can you, some of you see your Bibles now? Okay, they're wanting to know if the volume can go up a little bit. I don't think you want me playing with the... the uh, master control here. So uh, some people in the back said they can't hear very well, but it's fine with me if you want to turn it up. Test 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. That's, that's probably the one there, yeah. See. Test 1, 2. Can you hear me? That's always a dumb question because those who can't hear me want an answer, right? <laughs> Test one, two, three, four, five. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead. I don't want to shout or I'll lose my voice after two hours of teaching. But hopefully you can hear. Ezekiel, what did I say? Ezekiel chapter 36, go to verse 25. This sums up what we're looking for right here. I will, well, let me see, I'll go to verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. 
That's that living water. It's not talking about baptism here. It's more like the water that they sprinkled in the sanctuary. We don't believe in baptism by sprinkling. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you'll dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will call the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will, I could go on and on and on. One thing I wanted you to notice as we look at this, who's taking responsibility? God says, I will, I will, I will. The old covenant is based upon the promises of the people. God spoke His law, and the people said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Old covenant, we will. New covenant, same law. Some people think the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is the Old Covenant is the Ten Commandments and the New Covenant is love your neighbor and love the Lord. That's not true. The Old Covenant is love the Lord and love your neighbor. Love your Lord, first four commandments. Love your neighbor, last six commandments. Same as the New Covenant. Same law. The difference is it's written in the heart and God said, I will cause you. That's a wonderful promise that God said, I will do this for you. You must receive it by faith. How do you know when you're baptized that you are forgiven of your sins? Uh, When you come out of the baptistry, should you feel electricity kind of tingling up and down your spine? And then you say, ooh, I feel it. Must be real, I'm forgiven now. And so then you know because you felt something. Is it based on a feeling or based on faith? The reason you know that Christ has forgiven your sins is because God made a promise. He said, if you repent of your sins, if you confess your sins, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He said, if you repent, I will cleanse you. And if you're baptized, you can have faith that if you're doing what God said, He's doing what He promised. And so by faith, you come out of the water after baptism and you've embraced the promise of God that you now are covered by the blood of Jesus, right? Isn't it by faith? What are we saved by? By grace through faith. You believe. Jesus said, whenever He healed somebody, be it unto you according to... He didn't say my faith. He said your faith. So you receive forgiveness because you believe in the Lord. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Same way. Did God make a promise to give us the Spirit? Now, I'm not talking necessarily about the baptism of the Spirit here. But Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, after the people said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and your children and as many as the Lord God shall call. So, but what if I don't feel the Holy Spirit? Does that mean God's Spirit's not with us? You may not always feel something. Sometimes it's hard to detect the Holy Spirit. He's always portrayed in very nebulous ways in the Bible as wind and fire and water. Jesus said you can't tell where the wind comes from and where it goes. So is he that is born of the Spirit. 
It's, it's light. You can see the effects of it. You can see changes. You can see the fruit of the Spirit. But it's hard to nail down the Holy Spirit. But you receive it by faith. Meaning, nobody should leave this auditorium today without having a prayer and saying, Lord, I believe that You, through Christ's sacrifice, made a pledge that You would send me the Holy Spirit. He said, it's expedient for you that I go. Unless I go, I can't send the Comforter. But if I go, I will, he made a promise, send the Comforter. And he will guide you into all truth. Well, we're going to get now more into the particulars of the importance of the Holy Spirit and how, how we need the Spirit in this life. You know, in a number of parts of the world, uh, principally in Asia, they have these spiders that live underwater. Now, the spiders don't have gills and breathe air out of the water like fish. They breathe air just like other spiders. The way they manage to survive is they take air bubbles down with them when they dive below the edges of these lakes or streams. They capture them on the hairs of their legs. They build a web underwater. And little by little, they let the bubbles, they shake the bubbles off their legs and they're caught in this web and they build more of this bell-shaped web, and they bring air bubbles down on their legs and their abdomen, they shake them off, and they fill this chamber underwater, and they live underwater, and they hunt the little creatures that live underwater, and they marry and have their children, and they do the whole thing underwater. And it's amazing, because they have the same problem with the air in their little bell, these bubble spiders, that any other creature would have, they must constantly refresh it or it becomes stale and they die from too much carbon in the water, or in the air, rather. So they've got to make frequent trips above, capture fresh air, bring it back down, shake it off, and then they can breathe that and they've got to go back up and get some more and bring it back down. You know, a Christian can only survive in this dark world the same way. We live down here based on resources that we are constantly bringing from above or will die, will asphyxiate spiritually. So through prayer, we always need to be capturing a fresh supply of the Spirit. Now, when the Lord says, knock and it'll be opened, seek and you'll find, what's the third one? Ask and you'll receive. Remember, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him one time? Did He say one time? You know, when it talks about knocking there and seeking there and asking there, it's talking about an ongoing knocking and seeking and asking. So how often do we need to ask for the Holy Spirit? Every day, all through the day, uh, many times while I'm preaching. Sometimes I, I get fuzzy and I lose my train of thought or I, I look at you and you look fuzzy and I think, oh Lord, help me. Give me your spirit. Um, pastors, you know, you know when your pastor's firing blanks. Most of the time they know when they're firing blanks too. And so you, we have to pray. Sometimes you'll meet somebody just in passing. It could be in a store somewhere and you engage in some conversation. You realize they're open spiritually. Do you ever send up a prayer right then and say, Lord, help me know what to say to this person. You don't want to come on too strong and grab them by the shirt and say, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? But you'd like to plant a seed and see if you can engage them somehow. And you don't know what to say. You don't know their experience. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know how, what flavor they like. Only the Holy Spirit knows that. 
And so you say, Lord, help me know what to say to this person because I don't know their heart and you do. Do you pray those prayers? That's the only way you can be a witness. Because everybody's a little different. So we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. This is the most important subject we could study. And you might be surprised that I saved some of this material for the last of my two hours on the subject of the Spirit. The Bible is all about the Holy Spirit. It really is when you think about it. Because all through this life, we don't see God. Principally, we experience God through His Spirit. Someday we'll see Him face to face. Every eye will see Him when He comes. But it's through the Spirit He communicates with us. From Genesis to Revelation, you've got the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, in the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 2, where does the Spirit first appear? And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Go now to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22:17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. So anybody that thinks that you know, preaching on the Holy Spirit is not a biblical subject, they don't know their Bible. The ministry of Jesus begins and ends with the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And Jesus, when He was baptized, He went straightway up out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto Him, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighting upon Him. Right there, by the way, this is one of the verses where you can see the triune nature of God. Some people think that God is one person that manifests Himself three different ways. Sometimes God manifests Himself through the Spirit. Sometimes He appeared as a man, as in Jesus. Sometimes He is a, the Father. But you, you look at the baptism of Jesus and you cannot escape. You've got three different individuals in three different locations. God the Father speaks from heaven, addressing God the Son on earth, saying, This is my beloved Son. And Jesus is praying to the Father. Jesus is not a ventriloquist where he's making these voices come down from the clouds. God the Spirit is coming down. And of course, Christ tells us to go and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. You will encounter people. Um, you know, the, some of these false teachings are spreading. Um, typically, it was with the apostolic Pentecostals. Dear people, but... They believe in what you call uh, Jesus only. They're a oneness doctrine. And uh, they say we're to baptize only in the name of Jesus. Have you heard that before? Yeah. That's not biblical. It does. There's nothing wrong with baptizing in the name of Jesus. Jesus says baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's in Matthew 28. And they struggle with that verse. And they say, well, that was added later. Well, whenever you start doing that to the Bible, and you start saying, well, we can't trust that verse. Someone tampered with it. Well, if you think my verse is tampered with, I can say your verses are tampered with. Everybody can start claiming that part of the Bible is uninspired. And that's very dangerous. You're, you're better off believing all of it and maybe believing too much than going down the road. What I'm saying right now is very important because some professors do this and they start to undermine the faith of their students in the dependability of the Word of God. There are some difficult passages. I'll admit that. But rather than pick and choose which verses might have been confused or there, there's something wasn't translated correctly, believe all of it as the infallible Word of God. You'll be much safer than start dissecting and tearing pieces off. But it does say in the book of Acts, they baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. But it doesn't just say the name of the Lord Jesus. It says they baptize in the name of the Lord. They baptize in the name of Jesus. They baptize in the name of Christ. And... And so it says it many different ways. 
Don't get hung up on that. I cover all bases in our church. We say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit. And so that usually satisfies anybody that came out of the apostolic Pentecostal church. But the Holy Spirit is God. There's a group circulating, uh, even among Seventh-day Adventists, that uh, because it is true that... um, a number of the founders, not all, but a number of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they felt that the Trinity teaching had been somehow tampered or corrupted by the Catholic Church, and so they threw the whole thing out, and um, they were... um, Brain cramp. It's happening more. Don't use drugs when you're young. This is what happens when you get older. They were Arians. They, They didn't believe in in the Trinity, or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and the word Trinity, granted, is not in the Bible. It just means tri-entities. By the way, did you know the word Bible is not in the Bible? Nothing wrong with the word. The word millennium is not in the Bible. There's a lot of phrases we use to describe the Bible and teachings that aren't in the Bible. That doesn't make them bad. But the truth that God is consisting of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is all through the Bible. But there's a number of... People with Seventh-day Adventist leanings, they feel the omega of apostasy is believing that God the Spirit is a person. That's right. How many of you run into this? Yeah, I see some of you. Hopefully it's dying out, but I get cornered every now and then. The Holy Spirit is a person. Notice some of the characteristics, and I'll be happy to share my notes with somebody if if, uh, they want them. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit speaks. You might want to jot these down if you want to keep them. A person speaks. You read in Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit intercedes. You can read in John 15.26, the Holy Spirit testifies. In John 16.13, the Holy Spirit guides. In Acts 16, verse 6 and 7, the Holy Spirit commands. In Acts 20, verse 28, the Holy Spirit appoints. In Romans 8.14, the Holy Spirit leads. In John 16, verse 8, He reproves and He convicts of sin. In Ephesians 1.13 and 14, the Holy Spirit seals God's promises in the believer's heart. In Romans 8, verse 1 to 17, it shapes the individual's life to the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit, all through the Bible, is given all of the attributes that any personage would have. He has intellect, he has emotions, he has will, he can be grieved. And so, the reason people struggle is because we often refer to the Holy Spirit in terms of a force. And and I do that. Sometimes we refer to God as the power of God, or as a force. But God is a person. You are made in the image of God. You have a personality. You've got feelings. You've got intellect. You process. You can communicate. The Holy Spirit has all of that. It's not that He's like us. It's we're like Him. We are made in the image of God. God is not made in our image. See what I'm saying? So it's important to believe and recognize the Holy Spirit is a real person. Now, and you realize we're right now walking on holy ground. I sometimes feel like I should kick off my shoes when I talk about this subject because when we discuss God, the Bible tells us as the heavens are high above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. This really is holy ground. 
But with permission, let me say this. God is consisting of the three persons of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. While they are omniscient and all-powerful, and at least now the Holy Spirit and the Father seem to still possess this omnipresence, Jesus may have sacrificed one dimension of His divinity when He became a human, He sort of confined His essence into a body. When He rose from the dead, did He still have a body? Did He appear in the upper room? Was He real? Did they touch Him? Matter of fact, if if Jesus emphasized anything after His resurrection, He emphasized, I'm real. He said, touch me, handle me, see. Flesh and uh, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. There's a difference between a physical body and a spirit, Jesus said. Then he ate in front of them on several occasions. Once he said, they gave him some fish, they gave him some honeycomb. Another time he was on the shore and he said, you get children, you got any food to eat? And they got there and he was already cooking food. So he dined with them. He did everything that bodies do after his resurrection. And he appeared to them. Appeared to them on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to them a couple of times in the upper room. He appeared to them by the sea coast. Did Jesus ever appear two places at one time? No record of that in the Bible. Matter of fact, he seems to have been limited in what he could do by his physical body now because he married himself to humanity when he became a man. He said, it's necessary that I go so that I could be with you wherever you are through God the Spirit. So when we say Jesus is with me now in my heart, who are we talking about? God the Spirit. But Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will always bring to your remembrance what I have said. He will testify of me. You see something happening with God all through the Bible. God the Father seems to be recognized as the supreme authority among the Trinity. There's just a number of scriptures that seem to bear that out. Christ willingly takes a subservient position to the Father. The Bible says God, the Father, so loved the world, He gave. It's like the Father's taking the initiative of giving God the Son. God the Son, like Isaac was a willing sacrifice, He willingly comes as a sacrifice. God the Spirit spends His time exalting God the Father and the Son. Are we supposed to pray to the Spirit? Where in the Bible are we instructed to pray to the Spirit? Have you ever seen some of these charismatic pastors praying to the Holy Ghost and ordering the Holy Ghost around? Uh, if you've ever watched uh, Trinity Broadcasting or some of those channels, they do a lot of that. That's not biblical. I don't find an example in the Bible. I see the Holy Spirit telling people what to do, but I don't see anybody in the Bible telling the Holy Spirit what to do. And I don't see anywhere where it says that they pray to the Spirit. Matter of fact, we often teach our children, let's pray now to Jesus and say, dear Lord Jesus this and Lord Jesus that. And you've got one scripture for that. I can only find one. But 99.9% in the Bible, we are told to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. The only verse I know of in the Bible where they prayed to Jesus was when Stephen was being stoned, the heavens were open. At that point, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And since he personally knows Jesus, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But that's the only prayer I can find to Jesus in the Bible. We're commanded to pray in this manner. Our Father. And Christ said, we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. So, I'm not trying to make you feel bad when we tell our children or when you pray, 
Jesus. I mean, Peter, when he was drowning, he said, Lord, save me, and he prayed to Jesus. Of course, Jesus wasn't in heaven. He was right in front of him. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not trying to say those prayers weren't answered. But if you want to be technical, we are told to pray to God the Father and ask Him to hear our prayers in Christ the name. So the function of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they seem to have unique functions in the Bible. Jesus teaches that when He said, the Spirit can do things I can't do. That's why I'm going, I'm sending Him. And so just understanding that, I think, is important. But again, Lord forgive me if I'm saying anything wrong, but I think there's biblical support for what I'm telling you, but this is holy ground that we're, um, we're treading on right now. So, the Spirit is God. Is that clear to everybody? And during our question time, you may have some questions on that. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Our, sec- our s- uh, session we're having right now, the special emphasis is talking about the, the need or the necessity of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a list of uh, 62 things here. No, not really. But i got a good list. One, you need the Holy Spirit to understand the Word. Do you pray before you read the Bible? It's through the Spirit that we understand the Word. Let me give you some verses. It is the Spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are Spirit and they are life. Whether you're reading the Bible or listening to a sermon, it's the Holy Spirit that gives life to the Word. Revelation chapter 2. It says in verse 7, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Our ears need to be tuned by the Holy Spirit. Have uh, any of you ever noticed that you can make a parabolic dish that you put on the side of your head and you can hear better? Any of you ever gone like this? As you get older, you'll find... You ever seen old people going to lean forward and go like that? It's, it's really, it works, and I'm getting older. I, my hearing is not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Too many years with a chainsaw and an airplane engine, and I, it starts... Anyway, that's called too much information. But um, I noticed a lot of times people were talking, and I couldn't hear. And I, was, I found out when I went like that, it went up 50%. You can try it right now. It works. You do it with both. Hello? Test? One, two, three. Go like, I'll say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Hear the difference? How many of you hear the difference? So you know what I did? I came up with a multi-million dollar invention. <laughs> I, I got a plastic bowl and I cut it in half. And it was shaped like two parabolic dishes. And I attached it with some duct tape. You can do anything with duct tape. I attached it with duct tape to, I think, because I used a coat hanger or something like that. And it made like a headband. You know, girls, when you wear a hairband. And I put it on, and I could let go. And anything I aimed my face at, it would double the volume. The only problem was they looked silly. But you know they have these commercials on television where they do little telemarketing commercials? I know I can sell these because they need no batteries. I'm going to call them elephant ears. <laughs> and I think, you know, they look really cool. Grandpa's mad because he can't hear TV with all this background noise. But give him his elephant ears, and if you order now, we'll give you two for the price of one. <laughs> and get your credit card out. I'll make a million dollars. Don't you steal it. I haven't patented that yet. 
But it really works. It's so simple. Well, the Holy Spirit gives you elephant ears. It, it helps you where you're able to hear. The Holy Spirit will help the Word of God resonate for you. It comes to life. You ever tried to give a Bible study to somebody and you're making these profound points and they're going, I don't get it. Sometimes these people have, frankly, just about grieved away the Holy Spirit. They are so carnal that you really need to pray for them that the Holy Spirit will break through their minds because it takes the Holy Spirit to make the Word come alive. Have you ever read the Bible and say, I'm not getting anything out of it? Sometimes that's just persistence. Sometimes you really need to pray that the Holy Spirit will bring the words to life. And there's times I've read the Bible, you know, I just like you, I've read the Bible and thought, man, you know, I'm just my daydreaming, I'm not able to get anything out of it, and it can be a little frustrating. And then I prayed at other times, and I've just felt God's Spirit with me, and I'm reading the Bible, and every word, I'm going, wow, oh. I had a Bible study with a friend. Oh, this has been 20 years ago, but I'll never forget. I was a new Christian 25 years ago. And we stayed up all night. Do you ever have an all-night Bible study? We were praying and studying all night. And we just felt the Spirit of God working in our lives. And we were reading through Daniel chapter 9, the prayer of Daniel in chapter 9. And every little word, we just look at each other like, wow. And we'd read the word, the. Wow. <laughs> you know, it just... It, and, but it was so meaningful to us, and I can't reproduce that for you right now, but when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're reading it, it just shows you things that um, you miss otherwise. The Word comes to life. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Natural man meaning the person without the Spirit. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Sometimes you'll read something to a person in the Bible that's as clear as day to you, and they've just got a blank look on their face. Some people came to hear Jesus preach, and they said, truly, this is the Son of God. And others said, this is a difficult saying, and they turned around and walked away from Him. They heard the same thing. Sometimes God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son. And some people said, oh, did you hear the voice of God say, this is the Son of God? And other people say, oh, I just heard thunder. You remember reading that in the Bible? What made the difference? Some of the group had the Holy Spirit, some didn't. So we need the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, who the Father sent in my name, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, uh, we have a radio program every Sunday night. Uh, any of you ever heard the Bible Answer Live radio program? You can hear it on the internet. And, and uh, it, it plays, by the way, we're now on Sirius Radio. So any of you that have a satellite radio in your car, you can now get it Sunday night live. It's all across the country on uh, 131. It's the only Protestant talk channel on Sirius Radio. So we get a lot of calls now that we went on there. But we never know what questions are coming in. And we pray before every program, all the crew and the volunteers, we get on our knees and we pray because we really need the Holy Spirit for that program. For one thing, the people calling in 
Our screeners need the gift of discernment. Every now and then you get somebody, they don't really have a question, but they have some pet doctrine they want to promote and they want your radio program to do it. And you need discernment to know whether this person has really got a question or if they're just using the program. You need discernment to know how to answer the question. Sometimes people ask a question and you want to pray for them and you need discernment to know. Someone will call and ask a question about suicide. And once or twice I've said, are you asking this because you're thinking of it or you're just interested in the subject? And they'll get real quiet and they'll say, well, actually, I, I am thinking of it. Now, unless the Holy Spirit had told me to ask that question, I wouldn't know how to really answer the question, which would be to counsel them not to kill themselves and give them the reasons for that. But unless you've got the Holy Spirit, you don't know that. You, can, you don't know their hearts. And sometimes I think we've taken some calls and it wasn't until the end we realized we weren't really answering what they were asking. We didn't have the Spirit guiding us. So you need the Holy Spirit. We don't know what questions. Now, our screeners listen to the questions and they write on, we're in the studio, they're taking the calls on the other side of the glass and we've got two or three people and they're typing on a computer and it'll say, question on baptism, Bob calling from KNDL radio. And we know very little except they've got a question on baptism. And so sometimes we can pick through the questions because you don't want ten questions on the Sabbath in a row. You mix them up that way. But we really don't know what they're going to say until you get them on the air. And there's a lot of things I've read in the Bible, but I don't have a photographic memory. Uh, well, I do have a photographic memory, but I just forgot to add film. That's my problem. <laughs> That's a good one. But uh, I thought so when I first heard it. But you know what the Holy Spirit promises here? He will bring to your remembrance what you studied. Now, God's Spirit does not promise to bring to your remembrance Scripture you have never taken the time to study. But if you study things and it's not there stored away on the shelf where you can find it easily, the Holy Spirit can bring you that study. He'll bring it back to your mind. He'll bring you back those verses when you need them. Do you remember the promise of Jesus? Take no thought what you'll say when you're brought before kings and rulers and tried for your faith, for it will not be you that speaks that the Holy Spirit that is in you will speak at that time. And that's often frightened me. I thought, you mean, what? I'm not supposed to bring an outline and notes if I'm brought in to defend my faith? If I'm tried for my faith? I want a reams of notes. I want my laptop at my fingertips. And Jesus said, no. Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say at that time. But he doesn't promise to bring to your remembrance what you haven't already formally studied. So study now. Store it away now. And uh, continue to study. Keep it fresh. And then at the times you really need it, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to you. And I've seen that happen so many times. At Pentecost, did you think Peter had a scroll of notes in front of him? Or was he preaching from his heart? I'm not against outlines when you preach and teach. I use them for my evangelism. Principally, when I do evangelism, my, my screen is my, my notes. The pictures remind me of the different subjects. But it's okay to have an outline. But I think we need more spirit-filled preaching where you're just really talking from your hearts because it's stored away and God's Spirit is guiding you in what to say. Um, and one more verse. John 16, verse 13. However, he, when the, I'm sorry, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he, notice he, not it, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will teach you of things to come. 
Jesus said, He will remind you of the things that I have said. He will not speak. Listen, 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 listen. He will not speak on His own authority. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing this, you're going to encounter preachers and Christians every now and then. You'll give them the Sabbath truth. And they'll say, well, I know that you read that in the Bible, but that's the letter of the law. I am going by the Spirit of the law. And the Holy Spirit is telling me that we're not under the bondage of the Sabbath anymore because you're following the letter and I'm following the Spirit. As though the Holy Spirit is going to tell you something different than the Word of God. What did we just read? Did Jesus say the Holy Spirit's going to have a different message than I am? Or did Jesus say the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance whatever new fleeting thing comes to the Holy Spirit? Or the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance what I have said, Christ says. The Holy Spirit's job is not to manufacture new truth. So any pastor who is saying, you've got the Word, yes, but I'm led by the Spirit, and the Spirit's telling me this, Holy Spirit does not contradict the Holy Word. Let me make it practical for you. I can't count how many times I've counseled with some young man or some young lady, and they said, Pastor Doug, I need to talk to you. I need to get your input because I'm dating somebody now and I've been raised a Christian and, and I love the Lord and I go to church and, but I met this person at work and they're just such a good person. But they've not accepted Jesus yet. But I just feel like we're supposed to be together. And the Holy Spirit is showing me that we have so many things in common. I just feel like we're supposed to get married. And I have a peace about it. The Spirit is giving me this peace. And, and I know what the Bible says about being unequally yoked. And I think he or she will be converted down the line. But we're being led to be married now. And, and they've got all these really creative rationalizations. And they start believing the Holy Spirit is telling them to do something that the Holy Word is telling them not to do. So what do you do in a predicament like that? Do you go by the spiritual impressions or do you go by the Word? The Holy Spirit is never going to contradict the Word. And if you are ever in doubt what this spiritual feeling is telling you and what the Bible is saying, go with the Bible. Because it's the one that's not going to change. Uh, it's dependable. Now the Holy Spirit will lead us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us in ways we might not expect. But um, He's the one who helps us understand the Word. All right. That's point number one out of 63. Point number two. We need the Holy Spirit for obeying God. Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But through the Spirit... But if you through the Spirit... But if you, through the Spirit, mortify or kill the deeds of the body, you will live. How are we going to resist the carnal cravings in our bodies so that we can live holy lives and we can have bodies that are sanctified and consecrated to God? If you, through the Spirit, mortify, crucify the flesh, do not live out the cravings of the flesh. Yes, we do have animal desires, and those desires are put there by God. Um, sleep's good. Too much sleep, and you're lazy and slothful. So sleep is something that must be done temperately, the right amount of sleep. 
Uh, some of you are living in the rat race with artificial light and all the gadgets you have to play with and all the entertainment. We've got more risk of not getting enough sleep now. Or sleeping at the wrong times. When you should be up praying and studying, you're sleeping. And when you should be sleeping, you're up watching television and videos. So, sleep is something God gave. It's a physical need. Food. Food's very important. We need to eat. We need to eat good food. We need to eat the right amount of food. We need to eat at the right times. But if you're not eating the right food, you're not eating the right amounts, you're not eating the right times, you're abusing what is a normal physical desire, and you can become a glutton. It's intemperate. But there's nothing wrong with having an appetite for food. Who gave you taste buds? They're not from the devil, right? And so God wants you to enjoy your food. He wants you to rejoice. And, and all through the Bible, eating was a wonderful thing. When you, We're going to sit down and eat with Christ in the kingdom. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Sex. Came from the devil. Did it? Have you read Song of Solomon? Sex is one of the most incredible, fantastic, beautiful inventions of God Matter of fact, for me, the strongest evidence in favor of creation as opposed to evolution is sex. Because it doesn't make any sense at all in the evolutionary scheme of understanding life if life forms from one single cell just saying to itself, it's time to start a family, and it just splits. No gender, just splits. That's very efficient. Why all of a sudden all these creatures needed to have two separate genders that would cooperate together in an act of love to procreate and combine their chromosomes? There is no evolutionary model that would ever say, how would that ever come about? It is so impractical. But it is a miracle how these two people come together and they mix some essence of who they are and they procreate in their own image. That only comes from God. It's, it's a miracle. But sex, while it is a strong desire, and it is something that God created, unlike food, I know if you don't eat long enough, you're going to die. Believe it or not, you may think you're going to die without sex, but you won't die. (laughs) You can go a long time without sex, and you might think you're going to die, but you're not going to die. It's just, it's a strong desire. But unless that desire is being controlled, those bodily desires, whether it's sleep or whether it's food or whether it's sex or any of the other desires, they must be in submission to the Spirit. Now, after you become a Christian, do you still have those desires you wrestle with? Do you still have a body? Of course you do. There's a story in Mark chapter 2 about a man who, because of his sinful lives, he, he, life, he was overwhelmed with a paralysis And he wanted to go to Jesus. And the only way he could get to Jesus is four friends had to carry him on his bed. And they couldn't get through the window. They couldn't get through the door. They broke up the roof. How many know the story? They let this paralyzed man down in front of Jesus in the house. He could do nothing to save himself. He was a hopeless wreck. And Jesus had compassion on him. He forgave his sins. First thing he did is forgave his sins. And then he said, that you might know the Son of Man has power to forgive sin. I say unto you, take up your bed, arise and go to your house. He healed him. He was forgiven of his sin, 
set free from being a prisoner of that bed, but when he went away from Jesus, forgiven, did he still have his bed? Yeah, he did. When he came to Christ, the bed carried him. When he left Christ, he carried the bed. When he came to Christ, he was controlled by the bed. A bed often in the Bible is a symbol of the carnal side of man. Paul says the married bed is undefiled. When he left Jesus, he still had it, but he carried it. You come to Christ, we're carried around with diverse passions, we're controlled, we're slaves. Sin has dominion over us. After we're saved, He gives us the Spirit. You will still have those desires, but they don't have dominion anymore. You now carry them. See what I'm saying? And you still got the appetites. You still need to sleep. You still need to drink, and you still need to rest. And assuming you're married, there's still that component. But they don't control you. That's, I think, the big difference. Sin does not reign anymore in your life. It doesn't have dominion. So you need the Holy Spirit to obey. Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2. And He made us alive who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the Son of disobedience. He made you alive who were once dead. We're not walking like the world is anymore. If you want to get... How many of you, when you were kids, you had the glass Coke bottles? Does anyone ever remember? They still have them? All plastic now. When I was a kid, we drank the Fanta orange soda and the Coke bottles, and we'd sit around. Back then, if you were friends with someone, you didn't even wipe off the bottle. If you were friends, you just handed the bottle around. We all drank out of the same bottle. We didn't wear helmets when we rode our bicycles. We didn't wear seatbelts. And uh, most of us survived. We even used trampolines and diving boards, and now they're obsolete. But uh, we used to sit around, I remember, during lunchtime with the Coke bottle, and we'd see if we could suck all the air out of the bottle. Now, if you do it with a plastic bottle, it just caves in. But with those glass Coke bottles, you can't cave them in. And I tried to suck all the air out of a bottle one time, and I sucked and sucked and sucked and sucked. And then I tried to hold my progress with my tongue. And what it is, it then slurped my tongue down into the bottle. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? I remember when our son uh, Stephen was little, he was sitting at the dinner table and he had this little bitty cup and he put it up to his mouth and he tried to suck all the air out so he could hold it on his face without his hands. And he thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And he did that for about half an hour. When he got done, he put his cup down. He had made a hickey all around his face. <laughs> He had to wear that for about three days. (laughs) What's the best way to get the uh, air out of a bottle? Suck it out. Pour water in. If you pour the living water in your life, the prince of the power of the air that we just read about in Ephesians, he is displaced. As the Holy Spirit, that living water, of God comes into your life. He fills you. And so the Holy Spirit drives out the devil. The devil does not enjoy God. If you want to get the devil out of your life, invite God in. How do you get the darkness out of a room? Turn the light on. If you want to get the cockroaches out of a room, 
and attract the moths, you turn the light on. You can change everything. Trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, so many people, it is a drudgery. It is miserable. But when you've got the Spirit of God, you've got God in your heart. He says, I will put a new heart within you. If you've got God in your heart, stay with me, and God is love, and you've got the love of God in your heart, how much easier is it to obey God when you have love? It makes all the difference in the world. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And it gives us that peace and it gives us that power that we're all looking for. And so, in order to obey God, we must have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit for effective praying. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself knows it makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When you pray in the Spirit, you ever just start finding you say the same thing over and over again? Something I try to do, and I'm especially conscious of this, because when I first became a Christian, I went to a small church, we had a small group of people, and there was this one elder who was periodically asked to pray. You know, we'd rotate through the elders and once every other Sabbath or every once a month, he said the prayer on the platform. He always said the exact same prayer. And not that it wasn't a good prayer, but it's like somewhere in his youth he had memorized some other pastor praying. He wrote it down and he memorized it and he always prayed the same thing. It was like a broken record. And I always thought prayer is from your heart and prayer you're talking to God. You know, if, if you're talking to a friend and you say the same thing all the time, you're going to get tired of talking to each other, aren't you? And let's face it, sometimes in our praying, you know, we pray for the food. How many of you catch yourself saying exactly the same thing every time when you pray for the food? Or you have your good night prayer. Our family has morning worship, we have evening worship, and you come together and you say pretty much the same thing. You know, watch over us through the night and forgive our sins and give us your spirit and save grandma and grandpa and our loved ones. And, and we keep saying the same thing. You know, I, and what's really embarrassing, one time we knelt for our good night prayer, our family prayer, and one of our kids said, Dear Jesus, thank you for the food we're about to receive. Please bless it have it to nourish our bodies. Amen. And all of us said amen and got up and started going to bed. And it wasn't until a few moments after the prayer we realized he had said the dinner prayer. <laughs> that just shows you we weren't very tuned in to the prayer that night. How, how far do you think that kind of praying goes? Doesn't the Lord want our hearts? And so I think, it, you know, in, invest some time in thinking about using, expanding your vocabulary when you pray. God is worth it. You're addressing a king. Don't you want his attention? Then don't just keep you know, reciting the same thing like an echo or a, a broken record all the time. Uh, real prayer ought to be from the heart and it should be unique and specific and creative. And you'll find in the Bible there's a lot of different prayers, but you notice when you read in the Bible you'll almost never see the same prayer repeated. They're creative prayers that are coming from people's hearts. So we pray in the Spirit. 
And God, you know, sometimes I stumble through my prayers and I may feel like I'm not very eloquent and others pray much better than I do. And maybe you've before been in a circle where people are going around praying and your time is about to come. You're not listening to anything anyone else is praying. All you're doing is counting down how many people until I pray. What shall I say? You're not engaging in the prayer because you're absolutely terrified about what you're going to say when your time actually comes. Anybody? Next time... I, I'll, I want you to try something. Don't worry about what you're going to say when you pray because what you're worried about is what the other people are going to think of your prayer. That's not prayer. Pray from your heart. Listen to what they're saying and when your time comes, then talk to God. Because otherwise, it's a real self-conscious prayer. Just remember, they're all more worried about their prayers than yours anyway. So really, make it from your heart and not worry about it. Have you noticed that, um, you know, my voice is is a so-so voice when it comes to singing. Um, I am complimented often by old people who tell me, Pastor Doug, I often can't hear when preachers preach, but something about the frequency of your voice, I can hear it. And then old people often come up to me and say, Pastor Doug, I just want you to know, Whenever I have trouble sleeping at night, we put in your tapes and it just helps us go to sleep. <laughs> Honestly, you, I can't count how many people have said that to me. Really, it's true. And I don't think they realize what that does to me, but I'm sure I need it. <laughs> but uh, I like to sing, but I don't do solos. But I find I sound a lot better singing with people who have good voices. Any of you know that? Some of you say, I'm not doing any solos, but I like singing in the choir. And I like singing right between this person and this person, because I sound really good then. (laughs) They keep me on key. You know what I mean? Well, when you pray with the Holy Spirit, you're not singing alone. He takes your prayers. He makes them eloquent before God. He presents them cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the Father wants to accept those prayers. So don't worry about your mumbling and your stumbling in your prayers. When you pray and ask for God's Spirit as you pray, Jesus presents them, the Holy Spirit presents them, and makes it eloquent before God. You don't have to be a great orator to have your prayers answered before God. You want me to tell you what the greatest key is to having answered prayer? We're going to talk about prayer on Sabbath. I just heard I'm going to do a one-hour session on prayer during the total church time. I'm excited about that. One of the greatest answers or elements to answered prayer is praying in the Spirit and the sincerity, the urgency, the desire, the desperation of your prayer. Your prayer doesn't have to be long. No one ever commends a musician because they played long. Well, that was a great long song you played. They commend them because they played well. And so... God wants our prayers not necessarily to be long. He wants them to be from the heart. When you pray with a passion, as though your life depends upon it, that's when things really happen. How long do you think the prayer was that Elijah prayed when fire came down from God out of heaven? Time it. About 15 seconds. Fire comes down from God out of heaven. Doesn't have to be long, but it was, wow, it was a whopper. It was a good prayer. He was sincere. He said, Lord, they're all watching now. You're either going to send rain or I'm dead. I mean, that would be sincere. Can you imagine getting down and praying 
that all of a sudden it's no rain at all for years, the sky is cloudless, and you've got to pray that it's now going to pour. And if you don't, those prophets of Baal are going to come and you're going to be executed. That would be a sincere prayer. But it wasn't a long one. Lord's Prayer, how long does that take? Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. But don't repeat it as uh, you know, an echo. He wants it from the heart. So, and that's what it means to pray in the Spirit. So we, if you ask for the Holy Spirit before you pray, it'll make your prayers eloquent to God. So we're going to take a break right now, and we'll come back. We'll, we'll take some more time for Bible questions in our second segment, talk about the Holy Spirit. And uh, why don't we just stand real quick. Five-minute break, not very long. Stand real quick. Just have a prayer right now. Take a breath. Lord, we just want to rise in your presence right now and uh, pray that you continue to bless this seminar with your presence and your spirit be in our midst and as we fellowship with one another and as we prepare for the Sabbath, just pour your spirit out on this convocation that we might really experience the baptism of the spirit. We pray in Christ's name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.